you'd like, you can return with me to Revelation chapter 2 as we continue our study of these provisions made by the Lord Jesus to those that overcome. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 17 in this fourth lesson of this, of this study. Going to the third church that's involved here, that's identified and spoken to through John by the Lord Jesus. Speaking of the church at Pergamos, here in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 17, we'll just read that verse alone to begin with. Where the Lord says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows, except him who receives it. We'll bow our heads once again and ask the Lord to bless us here tonight. Father in heaven, we are grateful, Lord, that we can come to you boldly. Father, through the blood of Jesus and his provision, through his encouragement, his enabling, Father, even through his fellowship, Father, we can come and stand before you boldly, expecting, Father, that you will bless us with understanding, that you'll bless us with discernment, Father, you'll bless us with a desire, Father, and a love for your word. And one for another, while we gather in fellowship here around it. Give us understanding, hearts to hear, or hearts to understand and ears to hear, Lord. Eyes to see and all of those other senses, Father, help us dedicate them all to you. Right now, Father, bless us in your word, I pray. Be glorified by it. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Last week we were speaking of uh, those statements made to the church at Smyrna there in chapter 2. Specifically in regards to him that overcomes not being hurt by the second death. The second death being that collection of all of those ones unbelieving. All those ones in league with Satan. All those ones in league with sin not having ever accepted or partaken of the gift that is salvation and redemption. Gathered up together. Placed in that lake of fire and cast out of the presence of the Lord God for all of eternity. And we understand that those who have accepted the Lord Jesus for their Savior. Those who have believed and received that gift that was won for us at Calvary, will not be hurt by that second death. It's a promise, as we said and considered, well, at length. It's a promise and a provision for any and all who will believe. Not only those who will be, as we've termed it, those full overcomers or fully victorious that we're considering, as we consider him that overcomes fully. Uh, I tried my best to confuse you with that All jets are airplanes, not all airplanes are jets. So I'll just leave that there, and I'll just say it simply this way, hopefully simply. Not all believers are fully victorious, but all of them that fully overcome are believers. And so all believers, including him that overcomes, can expect not to be touched, not to be hurt by that second death. We can see another provision. I'm getting way ahead of ourselves here in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5, that first part Of that statement that the Lord makes to the church at Sardis, it's another, well, collective. I'm not going to say universal because that has its own connotations I don't want to involve in our considerations here. But it has a collective application to all of God's people. Where it says, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. And when we talk about Sardis' statements there, we'll consider what it is to be written in the Lamb's book of life and what that means for all believers. Uh, it doesn't mean that those who are written in the book of life will lay hold of all of the provisions that we see here in Revelation 2 and 3. But that being said, we're going to consider, well, a consideration here tonight, this statement that we just read here 
uh, towards the church of Pergamos does start to identify a separation. A separation that of, of, well, those ones who want to receive more and those ones who will receive more as they dedicate their lives in this life to seeking and pursuing the Lord Jesus and wanting that closer place of fellowship, not only here but in all of eternity, uh, laying hold of that bridal calling that we consider so often. That's what we're going to look at here. Um, this one here that's a bit more limited in who will receive this blessing that the Lord offers and promises to him that overcomes. And we'll see these separations from the different ranks of God's believers. So looking back there at our opening passage, where it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And so we're going to go through a brief review of something that I imagine every one of you is quite familiar with, but what exactly manna is, so that we can all be on the same page and understand what the Lord is trying to say here. So let's flip back to the 16th chapter of Exodus, where manna is introduced uh, before they loathed that bread, before they tired of that, I think that's how the King James puts it, tired of this loathsome bread, but before all of that, it was a miraculous provision from God, even after they got tired of it. It was still a miraculous provision from God. But beforehand, it was something. Something that they recognized. We don't know what this is, but we know who it's from. Exodus chapter 13, verse, uh, or 16 rather. Picking up in the second half of verse 13. In the morning the dew lay all around the camp. This is in the wilderness there. And when the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. It's been frosting here the last couple of last couple of nights, and so when you go outside, let the dogs out or whatever the case may be, and you look down and you see that sprinkling on the ground, I consider manna quite often because that's the correlation that it makes there. It says, so when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Something they hadn't seen before. Something that might have sparked some comparisons to some things that they were familiar with, but it was not anything that they could identify. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered. Some more, some less. So Moses shared with them when it would come, how it would come how it was to be collected, when it was to be collected, how it could be prepared. They prepared it in a number of different ways. And it was provided by God in abundance for all that they needed at exactly the right time, for exactly the right time, for the, exactly the right length of time. It was a perfect provision for these ones uh, who couldn't provide for themselves. The Lord was exceptionally kind to give them and feed them in their natural bodies. And of course, we understand this to be a representation, an illustration of that provision that the Lord Jesus is for us. So if you look at John chapter 6 and verse 47, we hear it from the words of Jesus himself. John 6 verse 47, Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Let's just make that plain from the outset. He who believes in me has it. It's present tense. It's it's a done deal. You have it. I am the bread of life, he calls himself. And then he made that correlation for himself so that we need not be confused by it. 
It's not uh, just me reaching for a comparison. It's not me trying to make and connect dots there. It is what it is. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. And he might as well have been pointing to himself. I am the bread of life. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And the greatest gift in all of history is the bread of life that is Jesus. And he says there, if anyone, if anyone eats of this bread. And so we understand, we know Jesus made himself available to anyone, to everyone. He's not willing that any should perish, we understand. But that all should come to repentance. You come to repentance by recognizing the sin that you are and the righteousness that Christ is and accepting God's righteousness through Christ for yourself. We understand that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever, that's, that's some all-inclusive type verbiage there. So the manna, the bread of life, is offered to everyone. It's laid out for everyone. We go downstairs and we have our fifth Sunday uh, dinners, right? And we put out all the food. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we'll make hard-boiled eggs. That's what my family makes oftentimes. Not hard-boiled eggs. That would just be gross if we just rolled out some hard-boiled eggs and rolled them across there. They're deviled eggs. What are deviled eggs doing in church? I never really put that together either. They're deviled eggs. And so we put them out there. And sometimes, man, if, if you know, I usually bring up the rear, sometimes they're gone. By the time I get there. Sometimes it looks like maybe two people took them. I don't know. It's kind of hit or miss. But they're there and they're available. There might be a limited number of those things, but they're, they're made available. You know the Lord God, His Son, is unlimited. He's available to any who will receive. An unlimited provision, the bread of life, has made Himself abundantly available to anyone. So if that's the case... And he's the manna, and the manna represents him, and he is the bread of life come down from heaven. Then what's this hidden manna all about? What is it that we're reading about back in in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 17 when it says, I will give of the hidden manna to eat. Uh, if, If you're looking at what this terminology means, this phrase means, it does mean concealing, it means hiding, it means putting away, it means made secret, it means all of these things. What is that talking about? If Jesus is manna, and I do believe that it's representative of him. A little side note, all of these things we consider, all of them are related to Jesus. Every last one of these provisions are some manifestation of some facet of Jesus himself. Some presentation of himself to each one. The tree of life, the white garments, all of these things are presentations of Jesus, more and more of him that he offers to those ones who want him. So this manna is indeed him. But what's this hidden part away or about? What, what do we know about hidden manna? What do we know about put away a manna? Put away manna. Man, I don't have a migraine. It's just I'm not talking very well tonight. We know that, uh, well, we know this. Let's turn back to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. Let me wet my whistle a bit so I can talk tonight. Back in Exodus chapter 16, verse 33, we see very clearly on a natural level, to a physical, uh, in a physical manifestation, actual event that happened, they put away some manna, didn't they? 
They hid some. Exodus 16 and verse 33. After Moses explained what was going on and what this frosty stuff on the ground was and so on and so forth, it says, Moses said to Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate manna forty years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And you can read about that. When they entered into Canaan, that when provision was made in the land, when the land provided for their food, the manna stopped. It wasn't a coincidence. It wasn't ironic. Forty years that manna was there, whether they wanted it or not. They stepped into Canaan, and when the provision was made there in the land that the Lord promised, the manna was no longer needed there. Nevertheless, that omer was put into that ark, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, where they were to keep that there. You know, naturally speaking, we have keepsakes, we have souvenirs. When you go on vacation, you go somewhere special. this is going to sound really goofy. We got back from Paraguay, and I realized inside of my bag where my boots were, I had a whole bunch of red dirt uh, because it was collected on the bottom of my boots when we were at camp there. And the dirt in the soil there was really rusty, rusty red. And I had a, I don't know, about a sentimental moment, but I collected that dirt and put it in a little jar and just set it up on a shelf down in my office. And a little piece of Paraguay that came with us. Uh, I think Mom might have had a jar of sand with some shells when I was a kid from Puerto Rico. Um, Allie might have grabbed some sand from Newport Beach on one of our trips. When we went to England, we brought souvenirs back, things to remember, things that, you know, you're like, might not be going back there again, at least no time soon. And it's just something that you look at and you can hold and you can remember and have some memories off of those things. Uh, A souvenir is something that you keep from a special time or someplace memorable. God told these ones, I want you to keep souvenirs from this very memorable, special time. Hebrews chapter 9 records those things. We can read about them in the Old Testament, but here in the New Testament it gives us some understanding of it as well. They were to keep souvenirs of their time in the wilderness. Hebrews 9 and verse 2, the writer of Hebrews says, For a tabernacle was prepared in that day, in that time, according to the law of Moses, The first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And he's describing here all those components and elements for that tabernacle. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, or the holy of holies, or the holiest of holies, or that place where the high priest went into one time a year on the Day of Atonement uh, to sprinkle blood onto the ark and so forth, onto the mercy seat on behalf of the people of Israel, which had the golden censer, And the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. They'd been removed for some time by the time that this was written. These souvenirs that the Lord had them take, they weren't just keepsakes. They weren't just... Oh, let's just, let's just put this aside. And it certainly weren't any part of worship or any kind of service. That's what happened with the bronze serpent. And they called it Nehushtan when people started worshiping it. They worshiped a golden ephod. That In the times of Gideon, there were a number of different things. I'm very cautious, <laughs> very cautious about the things that we bring into, well, into our building and into our assembly so that they might not ever take a place that they aren't intended to hold before the Lord and before our 
minds and in our hearts as we're serving the Lord here together. Because our tendency is to lay hold of those things. Sentimental or, or souvenirish or, or, well, those feelings and emotions can unintentionally build up until they become something of an admiration or even a, I don't want to say worship, but it can go that direction, can't it? There are a number of systems out there that have found themselves. Well, putting way too much emphasis on such things. Regardless, the Lord told them, hold on to these things because there is a memory that I want you to have. There is a certain, men, a certain bit of remembering that I want to take place when you look at these things. And so, where did they put them? Uh, well, they put them inside of the ark. Isn't that what it said? The golden pot, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant... The Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold. They put them inside of that is where they had it. The mercy seat set upon it. Now, if you're familiar with the Ark of the Covenant, it's a representation of Jesus. In our Joshua study, we talked about how it was made of wood and gold. Both his flesh and his deity, his being the Son of God, represented there. Uh, The mercy seat on top of it where the sprinkling takes place. It's the propitiation for God's people. The sacrifice of, of well, Jesus and his blood and being shed for everyone. It going forth before everyone that they might see him going forth. There's a representation of Jesus in a lot of different ways there. And so when we look at these things that are inside, held inside of this box essentially, we can see different facets of the Lord's character, different facets of his will and his way presented there. In the manna, in the life that came from the rod that was dead. We see certainly the law that was presented there in the tablets of the covenant that Jesus fulfilled with his own body and his own work. We understand there are different shades of Jesus inside of this box. And right inside of there is that that manna, that pot of manna there. And I'll just say it this way to kind of get us going in that direction. They weren't just stored in that box. I would go so far as to say they were hidden in that box, weren't they? Weren't they put in that and covered up? Who looked in there? Who, who of the people of Israel were able to actually look and see these things that were given to be souvenirs? Well, perhaps the high priest, but not anyone else. They were hidden. Uh, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 6 just for a quick look, a brief look at, well, just how hidden they were intended to be. Um, this is when that ark was captured by, taken by the Philistines. And you can read the story for yourself. I always kind of found it kind of comical. The, well, the repercussions, or ramifications that came for the Philistine people because they had captured the Ark of the Lord. And so they sent it back. They said, we don't want any part of this and the punishment that we are receiving because we have it. And so they sent it back. And, well, when they sent it back on that cart and the people of Israel saw the Ark, They recovered it, the Israelites said. They recovered it, and they were joyful, it says in verse 13 of 1 Samuel 6. 1 Samuel 6, 13 says, Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they lifted their eyes and saw the ark. It had been captured, and now it was coming back, and they rejoiced to see it. And it says that they took it down, and they offered sacrifices and burnt offerings to the Lord, it goes on to say. But all was not well, even though they might have offered burnt sacrifices and offerings and that sort of thing. In verse 19 of 1 Samuel 6, ultimately it says the Lord struck them down. He struck the men of Beth Shemesh because they had, what? Looked into the ark of the Lord. They opened it up to see what was inside. 
They opened it up to see what was hidden within there. It was hidden there for a reason. They weren't intended to approach that and take the top off and look into it. We understand the Levites were given to carry the Ark of the Covenant. What was his name? Uzzah, right? When he went to steady it, when they weren't carrying it the correct way, he went to steady it so that it wouldn't fall. He was struck dead on the spot. David wasn't happy about that. and He educated himself as to what happened and why. And he made sure that that didn't happen again. These ones took it down. They were happy to see it. They popped it open and they looked. The Lord had hidden some things in there. Concealed those things in there. And when the Lord has hidden something, He's hidden it for a reason. And there's an appropriate way and an appropriate manner to come and open things up and see things for what they are. Now we know that access had been given to all the manna that was on the ground to all of Israel. The Lord put the manna down, laid it out for any and all to come. Even those ones, you know, those ones who might not have believed, those ones who were rebellious, those ones who were pushing back, it was still there for them if they wanted to go out. We can read about it. I'm not going to take you there, but different ones went out when the Lord said, don't go. And, well, it wasn't there on the Sabbath. They would take extra, perhaps, and it would rot and it would get mealy or something. Or, you know, <laughs> they always pushed back oftentimes. People tend to do that. And the provision was there. Whether people wanted to gather it or not, it was provided to everybody. We know that everyone had access to that. And we know that everyone has access to the bread of life. When Jesus died, top to bottom, that veil was rent. The Holy of Holies was opened up for all and any. It was, there was no more separation when Jesus died on the cross. It was a done deal. His work at the cross opened it up to everybody and anybody. And just so, just so, even though the manna was out there, there were times when people wouldn't go out and collect it, just so, well, many people, many of God's people won't avail themselves to go in and partake of everything that's in the Holy of Holies. What do I mean by that? They partake of Jesus. I believe. Thank you for opening this up. And they go on their merry way, so to speak. But there are those ones who will pursue the Lord Jesus. And they will ask Him, Can I see what's inside? Can I? Will you show me what's in your heart, so to speak? There are a number of God's people that don't want to open the ark up now that access has been made to it fully and completely. Not all want to see what lays within the Lord and who He is. Has He hidden some things? Certainly He has. Colossians 1.26 tells us, Paul was given to preach the mysteries to this age. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to His saints. Do all people seek these mysteries in the depths of them? I would say absolutely not. Absolutely not. I've been in church for the vast majority of my life. It took me a good long time before I even had any interest in seeking, seeking the deeper things of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul tells the Corinthian saints there in verse 6. He tells them, there's more to it than just knowing that the veil is rent, knowing that we could go in as we choose, and accepting the Lord's sacrifice for us. He says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. There are immature believers, those ones who don't care to know who the Lord Jesus is, don't care to know what he's about, his will, and so forth. Yet not of the wisdom of this age, nor the ruler of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom, the secret wisdom, the put away wisdom that takes effort, 
that takes the Spirit in its fullness to fully delve into those things, which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And saints, you know that there are God's people. I dare say the vast majority of God's people that don't seek and search for the deep things of God. And though the Spirit is present, wants to be there fully, wants to lead and guide us into all truth, and yet that is pushed off. Not all of God's people dig into the mysteries that are there. The difficult things that are certainly there, but are offered to us to lay hold of if we choose to. Jesus said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is given in parables that seeing they may see, may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Paul goes on, and I'm sorry I'm going so quickly here, but just keeping the thought there. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It doesn't just mean... Hey, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? In, in this situation, I am dealing with X. Can you tell me what Y is? Certainly that makes it easy for now. Give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. Teach a man a fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. Lord, help me to understand what you want for me collectively. What you want from me on a grand macro perspective. Not just this micro perspective, but how are you and what's the direction you want me to go? That's what we should be looking for. That's what we should be looking to understand. Understanding the will of the Lord. Not knowing what His will is for this, but understanding what His will is for mankind, for our assembly, for the body of Christ, and for me individually. That's what we're supposed to be looking for. And it can be a mystery, and it can be mysterious. But the Lord opens up mysteries by the, by the Holy Spirit and by us yielding to Him. Moses was given to see... Well, his ways, isn't that right? In Psalm 103, I won't take you there. Israel just saw the acts of God. Moses was given to understand the ways of God. That's what we're searching for. That's what we have the opportunity to see. To dig into the hidden things that the Lord holds until we come and we ask Him. Can you show us what's inside? Hebrews 10 and verse 19, I'll start winding this down. It gives meaning to that exhortation that's here. The consideration of the hidden things. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, it's been opened up. The blood has been shed. It's been sprinkled once and for all. The veil was rent. Now a new and living way which he consecrated for us. It's open through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God. Here's the exhortation. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. There's a further act there for God's people. To draw near. To step forward. To look inside what is now open. The heart of the Lord for us to understand. To get. To recognize it need not remain hidden from us. Saints, I could take you to Song of Solomon, chapter 6. You know, many of us, well, we don't take advantage of the boldness that we can have in the Lord. We don't draw near. Song of Solomon 6, 
says, Where has your beloved gone, O fairest among women? Where has your beloved turned aside that we may seek him with you? And she says, My beloved has gone to his garden to the beds of spices to feed his flock in the gardens and to gather lilies. You understand it's a representation of the bridegroom and the bride. And she needs to go and find him there. She needs to go and see him there. He knocked on the door and she didn't rise and didn't go and answer the door. When she answered, he wasn't there. She needed to go find him. You can read that for yourself and we'll consider more of that in days to come. I believe that the greater number of God's people who have eaten of the bread of life have eternal life. Well, that they, they don't go seeking the hidden manna that the Lord has offered them. They haven't gone to receive further. They've partaken of that manna from heaven, but they don't pursue what is laying within. They don't look at the heart of the Lord. They don't look at the makeup of Him. They don't look at what His will and His way and the way of His will is. They don't understand this. They're satisfied, perhaps, if they consider at all. Satisfied with just getting there. Um, It's an unfortunate thing when we don't partake of the hidden manna that's promised to him that overcomes because it is a provision that is available to all of God's people, but not one that they will all lay hold of. It's It's a pity. I have a sad little note here. What a pity to forego the deeper things of God on this side and the riches that are reflected in eternity when we do lay hold of those things. It's a pity. Saints, at this point, I would take you over to the white stone, but I'm going to shock you and I'm going to stop there tonight. We're going to pick this up again next week uh, because I want to give it the time that it is due. But saints, let me encourage you as always, as always, this is certainly academia to consider these things and to put the education together. But I hope that we leave these things considering the stirring in our hearts that we should have in considering what the Lord has offered us. He has hidden some things away from us with every hope and every desire that we'll go to Him and ask Him, please help me to understand. Please show me your glory, as Moses said. And He will show us what we can see and what we can understand and draw us nearer to Him. But that is where I'm going to stop tonight. And we'll pick up with the white stone next Wednesday.